Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am here with Father Boniface Hicks and I am Joe Ronke. And one of the things that we've done throughout this podcast is kind of go back to the roots of some of the faith that we might not have really truly investigated in adult life and we're still carrying around elementary school versions of it. And today's topic is going to be one of those things and I think that it's one of the more important things to recognize that I know at least myself never really got the full updated version on and that topic is sin so father what I wanted to do was start to see is if you have an initial thought to start us to be able to guide us in the right direction with this conversation about sin and what it actually means and what it is uh, well yeah certainly a, an important topic and sin is uh, a very loaded word. Probably people have almost a visceral reaction when they hear the word. And it's a word that I think is used al- almost not at all in the secular world and is used quite a bit in the religious world. And so that carries all kinds of uh, connotations and implications. But I think one principle that it's important to start with is the whole concept of right and wrong and that there is something that is there are things that are universally wrong they're not just wrong for you or wrong for me they're wrong Mm -hmm. and of course we can start with the ten commandments and recognize that whether it's killing or adultery or lying or stealing or dishonoring uh, parents or other uh, authorities, so on. There are, there are things that are what we call absolute moral norms. They're not just wrong for some people. Sometimes they're just always wrong. So until we start with a recognition that there are things that are right and wrong, we can't really talk about sin Okay. So that's uh, I think that's an important starting point, and already maybe people have some kind of objection or reaction to that, but that's a, that's a starting point. And then we look at, so sin starts with something that's wrong, but then little children, for example, do things that are wrong, and we don't necessarily consider them to be sinners your two-year-old or your three-year-old may break things and yell at people and hit his mother and some other things, but we don't necessarily consider that child to be a sinner. So that's another important uh, distinction, uh, recognition to make, is that sin requires something more than doing something wrong, which is namely that we know what we're doing is wrong and we freely choose to do it anyway. So little children before the age of reason don't have a firm enough comprehension of right and wrong. They have some understanding of right and wrong, but they don't have a firm enough grasp on that, and so we don't generally consider the things that they've done before the age of reason to be sin. So sin requires, again, we need to know that it's wrong and choose to do it anyway. Now, there's yet one more area that we have to recognize. Somebody who we might say is uh, 
not even capable of exercising a free choice. Now, an extreme example of this would be uh, in the context of sleeping or dreaming, or when even when somebody is uh, under the influence, say, of uh, they've used some painkillers or, or uh, has have received anesthesia for a surgery and then do something that they would know is wrong, but they don't actually have the freedom to not do it. Or, or somebody maybe who's... Uh, who's being attacked and in the process of being attacked they have a visceral reaction they say something that they know is wrong but they didn't really have the freedom to make a good choice in the regard another example would be somebody who is maybe addicted or has developed a habitual behavior so that there isn't sufficient reflection and and a firm decision, a firm act of the will. So we've really got three things going on at the same time, that something is wrong, that we know it's wrong, and that we freely choose to do it anyway. Where our, ignorant, where our knowledge is impaired or where our freedom is impaired, there may be something that's wrong, but we wouldn't necessarily consider it to be sin or it would be not have the, the same gravity of sin. So I've just... Uh, given some categories, I hope, to think about these things where there are things that are wrong, but we don't have a sufficient understanding or a sufficient freedom, we might actually call that weakness. Sometimes we do things out of weakness, which are not necessarily sin, but we can see there's a gradient from the weakness of little children who are not committing sin, but are certainly doing things that are wrong, to the kind of graduated weakness slash sin of adults to maybe a point of, of real evil when we really know something is wrong and we really have the freedom to do otherwise, but we intentionally choose it. That's sin. So I hope, uh, hope that gives you a little bit of uh, uh, some categories to think in. Yeah, so that, that gives a, a, a great overview there. But unfortunately, I think it also creates greatness as well. Because um, one of the things that you said was the categories was you have to know it's wrong. Well, one of my thoughts is, well, what happens if you're just thinking something would work and it ends up being just not, you know, something that, that will not work? Um, you know, the, I think that everyone in their own lives has their own thought about an example of what that could be, but something that you thought would have been a good idea was it was going to work out and then it ended up being really, really hurtful to, 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 to people. So, you know, wh- where does that lie? Um, you know, to give an example, you know, if you're creating a drug, you think it's going to help someone to, you know, fix their back or whatever, and it ends up, you know, giving them cancer. Well, you started with the expectation of trying to help them, but you didn't know that compound A was, you know, basically a cancer creator. You know, where does that kind of stuff land? Well, no, that's a, a great example, Joe. And to apply those categories, you didn't know it was wrong and you didn't intend for it to be wrong. And so you can't call it sin. But we can make a judgment that it is wrong. It's damaging people's lives. It's doing a bad thing. That's a moral judgment. But it wasn't intended. It wasn't understood. Now, the reality is sometimes that we have a sneaking suspicion. We have an idea that it might be we feel like it possibly is, probably is. Anyway, that's when we start to move into a space that, well, maybe there was some knowledge, uh, 
maybe there was some pricking of our consciences that we ought to be more careful, that we ought to proceed more slowly, but perhaps it was the lure of riches or fame that drew us to act more quickly, more rashly than we really knew was a good idea. So mm. now we're starting to move into the realm of sin more because even though we perhaps didn't have a 100% clear idea, we had an idea and we could have moved slower, but we chose not to. And we probably did that for, again, reasons, attraction of money, of fame, of of laziness. Of Then we start to look at the the so-called seven deadly sins or the different vices that cause us to do things that are wrong. Well, why don't we get into those since you just brought them up as far as what a vice is and, and what the problem... Well, vices or in uh, the early church, the, the, the Desert Fathers, the monastic uh min monastic spirituality saw these as uh, uh also uh, evil spirits so driving us on in certain directions and we think of uh, seven as has been the number that developed over time and i didn't prepare this in advance so we'll see how well i can do in listing these things um, but we have things like gluttony and lust, envy, and uh, greed, um, pride, vainglory, and uh, and then a kind of funny one, sometimes translated as sloth, is also known as acedia, acadia. Um, there may be another one in there. There's sort oh, of alternately sounds. seven... Right, there are alternately seven or eight, uh, so vainglory is not included in all of those lists of vanity. Anyway, the, uh, those, those different vices are different uh, nefarious and bad motivations that lead us in the wrong direction. When we're doing things because we want to just uh, get a lot of pleasure in our stomachs or in our taste buds or in our uh, sexual organs, the lust or gluttony may move us to make choices that are bad choices. So those vices lead us in, in bad directions. Pride is considered to be the worst of all the vices, although I think in our society we've made uh, maybe lust or uh, maybe greed as being the worst, but uh, oh, anger is another one that's included mm. in, uh, in those lists. So uh, we've we've made some of those the worst, but really pride is is the worst one. When we have a desire to exalt ourselves over God, when we desire to exalt ourselves over other people, then that has a way of driving everything else. So pride and vainglory are actual spiritual um, problems that are that are among the worst. But anyway, those are those are some passions. Those are driving forces that lead us in the wrong direction. And so by taking stock of how much my decisions are being affected by those vices, those are uh, is, is a valuable way to examine my, my conscience. Yeah, I can see where you say that society at large here in America says that greed is going to be the one that gets the most publicity about it as far as people saying you shouldn't be that 
Um, I think a big part of that is you, know, you have an entire party that tries to get elected by saying that rich people are greedy and therefore they're bad, and that's kind of the only time you ever get one of these vices coming through. But the one that I think I see in everyday's life, because I mean, you can kind of get a feel when someone's having one of these motivatum, at least from the way I'm understanding it, is anger. There seems to be a lot of anger out there in the world for a lot of different reasons, but I think that you know a lot of people are upset with stuff that either comes from one of three categories, either A, you don't like where you're working, B, you don't have enough money to pay for your life, you know, your bills and whatnot, or the most common one is C, you're upset about something from your family-childhood. And it just kind of builds. And when I look around, you know, my various employees, people I sell to and buy from, etc., you know, that seems to be the one that I, I get a lot. I mean, every once in a while I'll get a guy who thinks he's the greatest thing ever and can't deliver on that, so I would consider that pride. But the one that that I see the most of is is actually the uh, the anger one. And not the greed one, despite the fact that the TV only talks about the greed. So I don't know if that's an accurate assessment or if there's anything I can do about that, but that seems to be what I'm seeing in my day-to-day life. Yeah, and uh, I should be... Well, all, all of these are going to have a... Uh, we might say a, a, a proper place in them. So... Greed is an excessive attraction or desire for money or material goods. Lust is an excessive uh, grasping after after sexual pleasure. Of course, a proper desire for uh, sexual relations is is totally normal and healthy, and a proper desire for money or material goods is totally normal or healthy. Um, and and there's a proper anger, uh, although actually finding the anger which is resisting, uh, which is part of resisting evil, is uh, anyway. People often rationalize that they have righteous anger when something has gone wrong. Um, anyway, I just want to say that there is a a place for for anger, but. Generally, we use anger as a way of protecting ourselves. Anger makes us feel powerful. And so when we feel vulnerable, when we feel threatened, we turn to anger in order to protect ourselves from uh, feeling vulnerable. So somebody makes an insulting comment and I feel attacked by it, I feel insecure and threatened, then I get angry and I lash out in response to that. That's not justified. So that's retaliation. That's not something that we should be doing. We should learn how to, first of all, not be so insecure that just because someone said something about me, I feel so threatened about it. We should work on our identity and be more rooted in Christ. And it's understandable if we're not, but anyway, that's the goal that we should be working toward. Or likewise, you know, we get angry at traffic lights, right? We get angry at traffic. It's it's mm-hmm. irrational. But I feel threatened because the traffic is in the way of something that I hold important. Maybe my boss is going to yell at me if I'm late. I feel threatened. I feel weak and insecure. I feel vulnerable. 
And so I get angry. It makes me feel more powerful, and it kind of buries that feeling of weakness and vulnerability. Anyway, anger, you're, you're so right that anger does drive a lot of things. Um, now, again, we could even bring those things back to pride. If I didn't think so much of myself, then I wouldn't be so worried about being put down or being cut off or feeling powerless in the face of uh, traffic. I would accept that, well, you know, I'm not, uh, the world doesn't revolve around me. And these are the ways that things work out, and I have a relationship with God, and I can trust Him anyway. So, but but all of those different vices are a way that we can just kind of examine what's going on in me, and what really are my motives, and are they leading me toward uh, bad decisions, sinful decisions, or are my motives leading me toward greater charity and generosity? Yeah, so I I think that that makes sense now. Going back to when you said that pride is the worst of all of them because I guess in that regard it's kind of either the catch-all or the starting point of the rest of them in the way that you just articulated how it does it to anger you can see the same argument about how that would do that to anything else you know I'm the most important person in the world I should have the most money in the world I should you know have the most women in the world or whatever I can see how pride would be the in the mix of starting all of that so that that makes sense now yeah because at first you you said pride it didn't really click on me i mean i can understand the not wanting to be better than god not thinking that you can control everything on the world um, including the weather but you know that's that's something there so okay so 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 that makes a lot of sense so when we look at at them here you gave a lot of things that can cause the backlog of anger if you will so how do we go about relieving that from the world to make it a better place? Well, to come back to your original question, Joe, about sin, uh, having sketched out the territory and drawn a few distinctions and uh, trying to get into the, the meat of it a little bit more, we can now simplify again, hopefully with a proper understanding, and say that Anywhere that we recognize sin in our lives, anywhere that we recognize we've done the wrong thing. Now, again, that could be without sufficient reflection or without sufficient freedom. But at the end of the day, I realize, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Now, when I'm honest with myself, I look at my motives and they weren't good motives. And so... I want to repent. I want to start over. I want to turn back to the Lord and I want to live a better life. And this is something that's ongoing. Repentance is something that in the Acts of the Apostles in the Bible, they celebrate that the Gentiles too have been given the gift of of a life-giving repentance. And so they celebrate that uh, they're able to turn back to God. This is really a gift that we have that we're able to turn back to God, that because of the weakness of who we are as human beings, God gives us this opportunity to turn back to him. And so we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't justify our bad behavior. We should look for the opportunities to say, yeah, I can do better. God wants me to do better, and he's going to empower me to do better. So now I want to turn back to him. When I fall from pride, then I want to turn back to God and say, Lord, I want to be more humble. I know that I made these bad decisions out of pride. I made these bad decisions out of anger. I made these bad decisions, and I want to turn back to you now. 
And so really developing a life of repentance, a life of conversion, that's the attitude that we ought to have. That's the kind of attitude that sometimes has given all, you know, Christianity a bad name because there seems to be this heavy emphasis on I've done things wrong, I'm a bad person. I'm that's not the point. The point is not to beat ourselves up, but to keep realizing that we can do better. And that I want to do better. I want to be a saint. I want to be the best that I can be. I want to be full of love. I want to be more like God. And this is an area in my life, whether it's road rage or whether it's the the greed that makes me leads me to make bad decisions in business where I don't put I put uh, money ahead of people, you know, or it's the lust that makes me see my own pleasure ahead of the woman that is in front of me, you know. So anyway, I, repentance I think is really the answer that we we keep looking to the Lord and we keep striving to do better and we keep starting again. And that's really the promise of the gospel is that there's always a place for a new beginning. Jesus says in the book of Revelations, Behold, I make all things new. And that's the great hope for us. And that might be the key that I've been trying to figure out how to articulate across every episode we've done as far as why I've always had this observation that people who seem closer to God seem to be happier. And that might just have been the explanation there without even kind of setting it up or realizing it because with everything you said by turning back turning back to God is going to reduce those vices and those vices don't lead to true happiness they all lead to some form or another of a negative feeling something that's going to make you want to black out your windows so you're not being seen doing it and that's a um, that's a problem. So if you can get something in your life that makes you less lustful or or angry or whatever, because really at the end of the day, after you've gone through a spout of any of those, really, you just feel empty, and there's there's just a, a low feeling to it, and if turning to God is, is going to, to prevent that from happening and put you the exact opposite instead of feeling empty and, and essentially worthless to feeling um, full of something that you're going in the right direction and that you have a purpose that alone should be encouraged and and a very great benefit of of being with the faith and following it that seems to be something that that I guess I took until this conversation 30 plus years of life to, uh, to connect <laughs> that dot there. So, um, so thank you for that father. Yay. We're, uh, we're making progress. Yeah. No. And I think just to, uh, to restate a couple of things that you just said in kind of simple terms, when we do something wrong, if our conscience is well ordered, we feel shame. And that's what you said. We want to pull down the curtains. We want to do it in the darkness. We don't want to be seen. Well, that when we don't want to be seen, we should take note of that. There's probably some shame there. And shame is a sign that we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. And it doesn't feel good. Now, one of the beautiful things is that when we allow God to see our shame, when we repent, like I was just describing, God doesn't shame us and make our shame worse. He rather heals us 
and he makes our shame better. He helps us to receive love in the midst of our shame, and that really gives us hope and a new beginning. So shame should give us some indication we're heading in the wrong direction, but then we don't want to bury that shame. We want to show it to God and receive mercy. And we do that in a particular way in the confessional. We show it to the we show it to God by showing it to the priest. And if the priest is doing his job, then he should help us to feel the mercy of God. And uh, that transforms shame in a beautiful way. That's the second point. Sin is ugly. And all of those vices are ugly. They're ugly things. And so they're not really attractive. They're, they, they draw us to them in a kind of disordered way, but they're not beautiful. I don't think anybody would look at evil and say that it's beautiful. It's ugly. And then a third thing is that when we do what is good, it feels good. And so just like you said, Joe, you know, we want to do what is good. We get caught in these patterns of behavior that feel bad, and then sometimes we have a tendency to take an anesthetic in order to try and make our bad feeling don't not feel like anything or somehow feel better but then we end up piling sin on top of sin we end up piling bad choices on top of bad choices it's like you know turning to a heroin addiction to overcome our alcohol addiction or something Mm -hmm. like no this is not going to work we need to rather recognize i have a problem repent turn to god receive help and head down a path of doing what is good. So, the uh, yeah, doing good feels good. Good things are beautiful, and uh, and then we're free of shame and we can bring them into the light. All of that is so much better. It's a better way to live. That's beautiful, and um, and I thank you for that, Father. And I, I hope that this cast out here has been helpful for everyone out there our next cast is going to continue down the natural conclusion of this conversation which is how the church extends its hand out to help us to get down the track of good and that's going to be the sacrament of confession so I thank you all for listening please continue to uh, subscribe to the podcast and to give us the great reviews that you have been we thank you all for your time and we look forward to talking to you next week